Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Poet Henry David Thoreau once wrote, I cannot make my days longer, so I strive to make them better. With this episode, we here at This Ends at Prom also have an opportunity to make our high school days better. Or your podcasting days, whatever you're doing right now. Yeah? Yeah. How much have you been rehearsing your Reese Witherspoon Tracy Flick voice? I don't have to rehearse this harmony. It lives inside me. That's just your voice? This is just my voice. That's you just... Is that from debate team? Um, it was speech team. Oh, my bad. There is a difference. Oh, my bad. And I'm sorry, I got confused because I was too busy watching Thumbsucker yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, my speech team voice is actually a little bit lower, and it's very much like, hi, my name is BJ Colangelo, because people take women more seriously when we don't talk up here. Yeah, so you have, like, almost a news reporter thing. Yes. It's like, trouble in your school. <laughs> More at 11. <laughs> Someone took down all the posters. Who did it? Yeah, that's, yes. that's the energy you're bringing. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Hi, prom party. So we are in midterm election season. Mm-hmm. So what better time to talk about the world's greatest political movie, 1999's Election, directed by Alexander Payne. God, just 99. The hits keep coming. 99. Untouchable year for teen movies. This is one that we've been sitting on for a while. People have been asking for it, and y'all should have known by now we were planning to do it for the midterms, but the time has come. I, I like theming. I do, it's too. nice. I like to it do... Makes me feel good. I like to do theming. I like to do anniversaries, and unfortunately, with 1999, we kind of need to do them now, because otherwise, in like two years from now, we're just going to get slam-fucked. <laughs> Uh, so that's kind of like how we had with 87 and 97 this year. Yeah, we just got and, destroyed. And we didn't think about it until the second half of the year. Yep. And that was like, oh, shoot, we have so many. Yeah. Did you just say shoot? Yeah, I did. Okay. Don't judge me. Are you... <laughs> are, are you criticizing me when you just busted out a Tracy Flick impression? No, but you saying shoot, it reminds me of the scene in It Takes Two when Mary Kate's like, for a darn good reason. And Kirstie Alley's like, did you just say darn? I would say darn. Dern. Yeah. (laughs) Not Laura Dern, but, you know, not swearing and saying damn. Yeah. So obviously, thank you for filling in those (laughs) blanks, PJ. Let's talk about a movie. (laughs) Yes. Let's talk about Election, one of my favorite movies of all time. Harmony, what was your introduction to Election? Uh, You specifically because one of the ways you described yourself when we first started talking was goth Tracy Flick. Mm -hmm. And I did not know what that meant. Mm hmm. How did it make you feel when you then watched Election, though? And that is 
Someone who I have no qualms admitting I was very much like when I was in high school. <laughs> Hopefully you were less of a Republican. I was 100% <laughs> less of a Republican. <laughs> like, there's a lot of things to say about Tracy Flick. I'll tell you what, that that's the worst thing she's got going for her. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing that I'll say whenever I reference myself as goth Tracy Flick, it's less about her insufferability because Tracy Flick is kind of insufferable, but so, we'll, so is kind of everyone in this movie. Yeah, we'll unpack that. But it was more so this idea that you would go to my high school yearbook and you scroll to the back of the index. And I also had a massive paragraph because I was in everything. I did everything. I was such an overachiever because I felt like I had something to prove very similarly to the way Tracy Flick does. See, that's that's funny because <laughs> you go in my yearbook and it was like, hey, there's me for my photo and me with the band and then me maybe in the background of somewhere because I'm tall and I just poke out. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of those group shots that they have to give credit for because it's so just distinctively you. Yes, I was the tallest in my grade. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, yeah, I'm i glad that I'm the one who introduced you to Election. I love this movie just so much. It means a lot to me. I watched it a lot when I was younger because, again, this is one of those edgier films that came out in 1999. I, yeah, I, I think it's because half of it's from an adult's perspective. Correct. So. I mean, this is a teen movie that deals with a teen that's having an affair with a teacher, uh, that w we have political corruption, we have affairs happening with adults, we have very uncomfortable sexual fantasy scenes from the perspective of a teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, there's a lot going on here, um, but it's a, it's a just marvelous movie. Yes. So if you have somehow not seen Election, the synopsis is pretty simple. A high school teacher meets his match in an overachieving student politician. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Okay. <laughs> nice and easy. Um, I, obviously, this doesn't tell us that this is a film that is told from multiple perspectives. We have mm -hmm. multiple narrators that happen in this mm -hmm. movie, which I really like because it's one story being told bits and pieces by different people that are putting it all together, which is a really interesting narrative choice, in my opinion. Yeah, and it also certainly has each respective narrator treat themselves like the hero of their own story. Absolutely, which is, I think, how all of us live. Yeah, like, no one thinks they're the bad guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that that just makes a really interesting movie because every narrator we have is unreliable, and yet all of them seem like they're right. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's, a really, it's a really smart choice, in my opinion. I agree. So we obviously tackle a lot of movies from 1999, but I'm curious if you have any sort of cultural history to bring up for this episode. I mean, this is pretty well-worn trails that we're, that we're walking today. <laughs> uh, one thing that is no notable, though, is that uh, this is a teen film mm -hmm. that covers politics. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe uh, how much the voting system can be easily rigged and... And, and and clumsy and crummy and the year 2000 election was right around the corner mm -hmm. and we've never recovered. <laughs> no, no, we have not. Um, so there'll be a piece that I'll reference throughout this episode that was written for Criterion for the Criterion release by Dana Stevens. And in the essay, it opens with, in retrospect, it seems there was something destined about the release of election in the year 1999. 
though the Tom Perota novel the film is based on was inspired in part by the 1992 presidential campaign in which its third-party interlopal Ross Perot, Alexander Payne's scabrous yet mournful satire adapted with his frequent collaborator Jim Taylor, presages with eerie clarity the political fortunes and plunging public morale of early 21st century America. Yeah. Very much so. Like this, the book that Election is based on is clearly trying to shit on Ross Perot. Um, and Ross Perot, I think, in this is sort of represented by uh, Tammy Metzler. But uh, there is one political figure who has been compared to Tracy Flick more than probably anyone else on the planet, and that's Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So this is such a, a an interesting movie because it obviously foreshadows the 2000 election in, in terms of like recounts and the Republican winning when they probably should not have. Mm. <laughs> um, so. I mean, in this case, Tracy did win. That's true. Sort of. Sort of. I mean, our our two party structure is pretty fucked because the third person should have won. The third the third party <laughs> should have won, but the schools the, the powers that be decided. Nah, fuck her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we've got that going on, and then of course down the road when we now have a woman running for president, and the way that misogyny and just the powers that be really punishing somebody for being insufferable in their minds mm-hmm. and being annoying. Like their greatest crime is that they're annoying. Um, that is just, the essay is correct. That is eerily precise um, in, in what it's predicting. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about that a lot more when we actually get to our characters. Though I do want to say, as an aside about the Criterion release, I'm thankful that this film is finally getting a good cover. Okay, yeah, so the election <laughs> posters and cover art are not super great. No, the one where it's Matthew Broderick in her mouth is pretty bad. <laughs> it's creepy eh. in a very weird way. I mean, it's kind of supposed to be. Yeah. Like, there's definitely a scene where, like, it reminds me of the Vine where it's like Matthew Broderick's having sex with his wife in this movie, and it's like, fuck me, fuck me. And it just is like, fuck me, Jerry. <laughs> I want you to fuck me. Like, that's what it reminds yeah, me of. Yeah, the fill me up scene turns into, <laughs> fuck me, Jerry. <laughs> it really does. I'm glad so, that both of our brains went to that same stupid Vine place, because that's who we are as people. And if you don't know what that Vine is, just go to YouTube and <laughs> ruin your algorithm by typing, smooth, Vine, fuck me, Jerry. <laughs> smooth your brain right out with some good old-fashioned Vine comps. They're really nice <laughs> at the end of the night, just to, like, really tune out the world. <laughs> <laughs> agreed, agreed. So before we dive in any deeper, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. Alrighty, so let's dive in and let's talk about our girl Tracy. I'll let you go first. How do you feel about Tracy? 
So there's a lot of things that can be said about Tracy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all had at least one, possibly more, girls in their school who reminded them of Tracy. Mm-hmm. Um, Tracy's insufferable. Mm-hmm. She is correct sometimes, mm-hmm. but she sucks and she's <laughs> irritating. <laughs> so, like, I'm not going to say that Broderick's in the right. Like, Miss D- Mr. M... He's totally in the wrong, and he's also, like, an abusive power, but he thinks that he's, like, totally in the right, and he has a happy life, and she's, like, the only thing wrong in it. No, like, aside from her being annoying, which is clearly her biggest crime, her other biggest crime is that she does tear down posters Mm -hmm. and then gets away with it and is really cocky about it. Yeah. But aside from that, like, she's pretty well by the books, but a lot of politicians are by the books. Mm -hmm. So, eh. I have such an affinity for Tracy Enid Flick because is she insufferable? Yes. But I think she is such a fascinating examination of one, the way that women are socialized to believe that they have to behave a certain way in order to get ahead in life Mm -hmm. because that's very clearly what she's doing. She talks pretty frequently about how she grew up in a single parent household. She does not have the 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 wealth that a lot of her classmates have she does have to work twice as hard and she does not want anything to stand in her way so she's very cutthroat she's a go-getter she's very much a go-getter she looks real good on a college application i am sure oh absolutely i mean she does get to go to georgetown her dream school okay um so she she clearly did something right but the problem is that because tracy works so hard and does everything she does not take rejection well. Mm-hmm. She does not take loss well mm-hmm. at all. And because of that, she tends to kind of lean into that really problematic area of white feminism. Oh. Oh, like we we were talking about Hillary Clinton. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> very, very much so. And it needs to be said, this is an extremely white movie, as is the case with most teen movies. Um Keep your ears peeled. We're doing something very special about that later this month. But uh, Tracy, is, <laughs> Tracy is very much a white feminist. Where mm-hmm. the banner that she that she waves is, "I am marginalized because I am woman. So if you don't like me, that means you're a misogynist." When in a lot of cases, people don't like Tracy because she's obnoxious. Well, yeah, and to add to the fact that she does not handle rejection well and that she's obnoxious, and that she's an overachiever, she repeatedly refers to winning, like, class president as her destiny. hmm And, God, people who are entitled aren't fun to be around. <laughs> and the thing is, when she talks about it being her destiny, I understand where she's coming from, though, because she is the most qualified person to be the class president. Well, no one else wants to do it because no one else cares. (laughs) No one else cares. No one else wants to put in the time or the commitment and actually do it right. She, for all intents and purposes, should be the class president. On paper, she really is. And so then when things start to go awry, when we start introducing like Paul Metzler into the into the game, who's Mr. Popularity, it then becomes more of a realistic look at high school where, yeah, it's not about who's the most qualified. It is a popularity contest. And that shit does suck. I get why she's pissed. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Uh, here, here's a question for you that I have um, that's one of Tracy's extracurriculars. So I think they have like... I don't know, young states people club or something like that. 
Oh yeah, there's like always like future politicians, future business leaders of America. Yeah, like, yeah There's yeah. a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, you were in like speech team and stuff. Mm-hmm. Did was there anything that you were involved in like that? Since you were involved in everything in school. So the closest thing that we had to that was mock trial, which I was not a part of because it conflicted with whatever the spring theater show was. So I couldn't do mock trial because it conflicted with my morals. <laughs> no, it conflicted <laughs> with my theater. More important, conflicted um, with my craft. <laughs> but no, uh, my high school did not have things like future business leaders of America or like mock UN or any of those things because I went to a very underfunded public school that Mm -hmm. couldn't afford to do those things. But it was always really fun when we would go for speech meets and see what the other schools had and realize that they all had the resources that we did not have. And that was always really infuriating because our speech team uh, constantly got docked for being a poor school. Mm-hmm. 100% we got docked for being a poor school. Mm-hmm. And we could not host speech meets at our school because we did not have a theater to have an award ceremony. Cool. So we could not have them. Poor kids. It's great. Everyone loves us and treats us very kindly and not terribly. Oh, so that, that, all of that tracks. Yeah. Had we had that organization, absolutely I would have joined in a heartbeat. <laughs> I know myself well enough. I will say there was a, um, we did like a mock trial through the enrichment track I was on in high school. Okay, so I assume... What is an enrichment track? Okay, so I assume in your school you had like AP classes, right? Yeah, Like sure. advanced placement Something like that, okay. yeah. So my school... I was not in them, obviously. I, I love you dearly. Didn't think so. Thank you. Um, so, it's because I didn't apply myself. So our school did have AP classes. I qualified for AP classes, but I elected not to choose them because we also had something called Tech Academy, and I think I've talked about this in on episodes before, but if not, here you go again. But basically, Tech Academy was another enrichment track for the school. So my science classes, my history classes, and my English classes and homeroom were all with Tech Academy. So I had like the same rotation of kids for all those classes. And the reason we were a tech track was because instead of like writing an essay about Dante's Inferno, we would make like a cartoon in flash animation okay. and like tell the story that way. And that was our assignment. And it was a way to get a head start on like computer tech because I was like, that's the future. So that's what I'm going to do. And then got a theater degree because I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah, you could have been making cartoons on Newgrounds. I know. What was I thinking? Jeez, you fool. Well, I also can't animate because I'm a terrible artist. That's fine. They weren't. <laughs> a lot of them weren't good artists either. That's very true. <laughs> um, so that's the enrichment track that I was on. But that meant that a lot of our classes were connected. So we did like a forensics unit. So for chemistry, we did forensics chemistry. In history, we were learning about like famous crimes that happened in English class, it was reading like a, a, a crime novel or a mystery novel. Like, so they were all connected. And we did a mock trial in this. And I was cast to be one of like, like the main witness or whatever. Like, okay. I don't, I don't remember what my exact witness. title was. I was like key witness or something. Yeah. Um, I was infuriated that I was not one of the lawyers. I uh-huh. wanted to be a lawyer. And they were like, nope, we cast you in this. And I was fucking pissed and they cast me because they're like well you're a theater kid and that's what we need for this because it's, uh, it's an improv role mm. but the uh <laughs> just, i can't believe i remember this because i was so mad about it but the crime at hand was that i was a divorced woman and my kids were at their dad's house for the weekend and mm-hmm. dad was not paying attention to the kids and the kids got into his lockbox and used a gun and killed the neighbor. And wow. so the trial was determining whether or not I was also at fault. 
Y'all just debating this for fun. <laughs> High school's wild, man. <laughs> like, I, I guess I shouldn't be that shocked by it. Well, first of all, I, I have a story. But, like, how did that go? What, what, who was? Were you guilty? <laughs> so here's the thing. I got a 100%, like, got a perfect score on my performance. The jury did find me liable, even though I was not there. Because I don't remember what the reasoning was. But even our teachers were like, why the fuck did you make her guilty? She wasn't there. She's not responsible for the actions of her ex-husband what misogyny you pretty much it was misogyny and i was so mad i like was did not want to talk to like the people in the jury for days and they're like you got an a why do you care and i was like because i was innocent damn it you're being competitive yeah pretty much oh god like none of that surprises me that though that that's what you were debating like i was in jsa which was like junior statesman of america for Ooh. a cup of coffee did you go to boy state no oh. what's boy state <laughs> Oh, we'll talk about this after you do your story. Go for okay, it. Okay, God, there's just so many things being thrown at me right now. Um, <laughs> no, I was, in, I was in JSA because there was this one kid who, like, we I hung out with sometimes. And he was like, I don't know, you'd seem like you'd be fun to be in this. Um, and so I joined it. It was an after-school thing where you would just hang out for, like, 45 minutes and you would debate, debate current politics. Uh-huh. Um, and, like, mind you, I'm like... 15, 16, I'm just now starting to get into politics because I'm watching The Daily Show and The Colbert Report. <laughs> so <laughs> I am I like Lewis Black stand-up. Here we go. I understand politics. So <laughs> we ended up if getting... If only it was that easy. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but that, hey, that was, that was as good of an entry point as we were going to have. Right, right. So I ended up like frequently finding that I was in the minority on anything we debated on. And I was just like, huh, that's weird. I don't get, why is everyone mad? Why shouldn't prostitution be legal? Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I realized that the kid who had invited me um, was also one of like the three kids who was frequently on like the liberal side of things and would have mm. to defend for like human rights. <laughs> so uh, that was, that was a thing. I, I, I remember that specifically for the uh, should prostitution be legal argument one of the key things for why it shouldn't be is that the kid that invited me to jsa could also do sex work then which then meant everyone went ew so it shouldn't be legal that's the meanest thing (laughs) so um high school is so fucking stupid in that regard yeah i know we've talked about it on our any of our episodes where we talk about like abortion rights, but my sc- high school, I'm pretty sure this is still a rule, is no longer allowed to debate abortion because so many of us had had abortions by the time we're in high school having these debates and we're like, no, 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 we're not doing this anymore. Jesus. Oh, but so ridiculous. Yeah. So uh, I ended up stopping doing that after a few months because they were like, we're going to fundraise so that we can go to Washington, D.C. and hang out at the Senate or something. I'm like, no, this is too real. That's work. I'm not doing that. (laughs) So then I quit. So Boy State, since I mentioned it, and yeah, honestly... What, what is Boy State? And then we'll get back to the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, but the, it, this relates. So okay. there's also a fantastic, unbelievably good documentary called Boy State. Mm-hmm. Uh, A24 put it out a couple of years ago. I think Apple TV Plus has it. Highly recommend it. But Boy State is like this little micro government. And so they also do have girl state. I asked boy state because that's what you would have been in high school. Um, But what happens is kids from all across the state Mm -hmm. meet together in the Capitol and they have their own like little mock elections. And the documentary about boy state is horrifying because you realize what goes into an election and how it, it has never been about 
who is the right candidate, who is the best person for the job. It's all a dog and pony show Mm -hmm. because you have these people who uh, are trying to get elected at Boy State in Texas, and Mm -hmm. specifically Texas. So you have these like very radical like leftists that are showing up against these by the book conservatives and trying to figure out, well, how do I get some of their votes? Oh, well, I have to be more centrist. I mm-hmm. have to do this. It's You scratch my back, I scratch yeah, yours. It's yeah, it's like really bananas to watch because it is a perfect little microcosm of the American electoral system as a whole. And it's also very fucking bleak and depressing. So in a weird way, like Boy State is kind of a fantastic companion piece to election. But the difference being is that it's not fictional, so then it hurts a little more. It's not funny. It's not funny at all. I I have to say, having watched Thumbsucker, which was a movie I'd never seen, but I was like, oh, Polyphonic Spree did the soundtrack to this after Elliot Smith couldn't. Mm -hmm. So I'll watch this because I liked that soundtrack. And then I finally watched it and just like, there's a big debate team subplot where Vince Vaughn is in charge of it. Mm -hmm. And the kid ends up becoming really good at it. Because his dad is, like, hyper-competitive. And, like, he's, like, cutthroat and mean and awful and just starts, like, deflecting, like, politician style. Mm -hmm. Not actually debating the things at hand and starts getting into, like, these conversations about ethics to totally, like, veered off in a left direction where everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's really compelling. Uh Uh-huh. So, like, yeah, politics are fucking stupid, man. Oh, absolutely. I hate this shit. Dog and pony show indeed. uh, Yeah. And, like, bringing it back to election... The speech scene, in my opinion, is, like, so wild because I feel Tracy's aggravation in that scene because I have been in that position where it is clear she put in time and effort to write that speech. She got that Henry David Thoreau quote. She figured out how to start with it and end with it, like, very high school speech 101 Then you have Paul go up there and just read it verbatim. And Chris Klein deserves every award for being able to do that in a monotone voice without taking a breath and just keep talking like this and no one can understand what he's saying. He's really good. And I'm assuming assuming that the girl who is helping him with his campaign wrote that. Oh, totally. She wrote that. I don't think he did anything on his own. No, he did not. No, he did not. Lisa wrote that for him. Yeah. And so he delivers that and everyone is just excited because he's the most popular guy in school. But then you get Tammy going up there and being like, fuck this. And it is the, it is like the personification of the family guy joke of Lois Griffin going terrorism and 9-11 over and over again. And people are just like, like that's what's happening in this moment. And Tracy looks like she's going to like self combust. And I'm like, girl, I've been there. I hate (laughs) that I relate to this right now. But where it's so painfully obvious that you worked your ass off on something and someone else who just half-assed it is about to take it from you, that shit sucks. And yeah, I unpack that in therapy. What of it? Okay, but here's here's a fair question for you about Tammy. Is Tammy catering to the desires of the people she is representing? Oh, she absolutely is. And a politician should cater to the desires of the people they are representing. So here's the problem, though is on paper, I love Tammy because she's a loose cannon. She doesn't give a fuck. She hates her brother. She's gay. She's gay. She hates the system. She wants to tear it all down. I get that, and I respect that. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem, though. Candidates like Tammy end up being Donald Trump. Like, Tammy is like liberal Donald Trump, just fucking anarchy, which is exciting, but at the same time, it's like, but you don't know what you're doing. Like, oh, yeah. you actually don't know what you're doing. And obviously, it's high school fucking politics. I think that's the, one reason that she's involved. The stakes are so low. Yeah. <laughs> like, who cares? No, like, anarchy's great in theory. 
Like communism yeah, yeah. is great in theory. It's a all lot great of, on paper. A lot of these are real nice until you factor in human error mm-hmm. <laughs> and hubris, and then they don't work out so well. Which is why I'm a socialist and not a communist. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I like her on paper. I like her in theory, mm-hmm. but she is representing the desires of her people. And if there were actually things she should have been doing, because, like, clearly the president doesn't do that <laughs> much do in high school. You like, might get a vending machine. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, eh, she can have this. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, but something that I think is really interesting is how Tracy Flick has been sort of reevaluated in recent years. Because for a very long time, she was kind of the poster child for the over-eager, obnoxious girl. Mm -hmm. And no one has ever done the character better than Tracy Flick. Like, she is the perfect example of this character. But when you really start to break the character down, especially when you take into consideration her relationship with a teacher, Mm -hmm. we hear Tracy talk about the relationship, and she very much is like, nope, this was consensual. He didn't take advantage of me. I was into this. It was really nice to have somebody to talk to me like an adult. Mm-hmm. I really gravitated towards that. I loved that. But then we get to see the teacher and he's very much like the teacher in Daydream Nation where he's a pathetic worm obsessed with a high schooler. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it doesn't matter. And he's matter. also trying to write a book. <laughs> right. But it's like, it doesn't matter that Tracy's like, oh no, I'm fine with this. He should know better. Yeah. And she's 100% being groomed yeah. because... <laughs> It's just one of those things where, you know, we talk about in hindsight all the time that Tracy clearly believes and probably is above the maturity level of everyone else in her school. Oh, yeah. 100% she is. This is the same thing we talked about when we did Daydream Nation. This is the same thing we talked about when we did Juno. Um, I'm sure that it'll be the same thing we will talk about for several other movies as they come along. Uh But it's one of those situations where... She isn't intellectually stimulated enough by her classmates, and therefore she's going to someone who is more interesting and is interested in her and doesn't, like, fart at her. And I I get why that would be alluring to her, because everyone else sucks and treats her like shit. Absolutely. So it's enticing. It's totally wrong. But when you're, like, 17, you think you know everything. Tracy Flick 100% thinks she knows everything. Absolutely she thinks she knows everything. And it's even... More fascinating when she has conversations about that relationship with Matthew Broderick's, you know, Mr. M, where she's like, well, if some people weren't little babies about things and Mm -hmm. could get over it, like, she very much thinks that she's in the power position, which, to be fair, she kind of is Mm -hmm. in a very weird, backward situation, but she does not realize how fucked up this situation actually is. And she probably won't for years. Yeah. And then one day she'll unpack this when she finally has like a cool leftist feminist that she meets while she's working in DC who hopefully can get her to change her goddamn mind. But they will introduce to her like themes of grooming and she'll go, oh God, Mm -hmm. oh no. And that'll be a very (sighs) horrible awakening for her as it is for any of us who have done that. Yeah. So, um... Speaking of Mr. M, do we do we want to talk about Matthew Broderick as Mr. McAllister? Probably his best role in his entire career, and that does include Ferris Bueller, yes. See, I love Matthew Broderick when he's unlikable, and I feel like everyone really wants to dunk on him because we've all reevaluated Ferris Bueller so much to go, oh no, he's actually a jerk. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think everyone just is like projecting that at Broderick when he's in stuff where they're like, oh, I hate seeing him stuff. I'm like, no, but he's really good in like election. He's phenomenal in the producers. He just needs to be like a loser or unlikable or like a doofus. And he's great. Like Broderick shouldn't be cool. I love him when he's not cool. I think the reason that people dunk on Matthew Broderick so much is because he did play what was considered the coolest guy in any teen movie. And that coolness did not translate into his adulthood. And I think that's why people dunk on him. But he is so phenomenal in this because he has that energy of cool teacher. Like everyone knows what cool teacher energy is. It's kind of like how everyone knows what cool pastor energy mm-hmm. is. Like they're cool, they're cool teacher that you might call by his first name. Yeah. Yeah. He lets you swear in class. Mm-hmm. Like you get to write hell in your papers. You you can bring snacks. Oh, they he's not gonna stop you from eating flame and hots in the back of the room. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Cool teacher. That's why he gets the awards, because he's the cool teacher. Uh-huh. And it's very clear that he's the cool teacher because cool teachers, a lot of times when you reevaluate them as adults, were also kind of fucking dorks. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the teachers that I thought were really cool, I'm friends with them on Facebook now, and I'm like, oh, you're a dork. I love you, but yeah, yeah you're a dork. You're not cool. <laughs> I mean, it's all about confidence. Like, that's the thing with high school is like, you can't come across like you care. Yeah. You can't be, you cannot let people know that you are bothered. And if you can skirt that, then people at least like somewhat respect it. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, I don't know, he's, he's, he's not like most moms. He's a cool mom. That is absolutely the energy he has. It really is. And his monologue at the start of the movie, he seems to have his life together. He's got his job he loves. He goes for a jog in the morning. He can shower at school and get his shit together. He has a wife that he says he loves. Everything's perfect. And that's clearly the lie that he is telling himself because he is not pleased. Oh, no. He has a miserable existence but is doing everything in his power to convince himself that he loves his life. Mm-hmm. And, like, Tracy calls him on that in like her monologue 100 <laughs> percent, and she's right to do so because when you really think about it it's like okay you're in a marriage that you're actually not that happy with because you are very quick to cheat on your wife with your best friend's ex-wife uh your best friend is fucking schlupping a teenager and you're just kind of like ah, about it which okay whatever and you have a personal vendetta against said teenager and that is part of why Tracy Flick has been reclaimed and also reevaluated because she is consistently being punished this entire movie because she had a relationship with a teacher and he is blaming her for it. Oh, like, yeah, for ruining his friend's life. He he is blaming a teenager for the mistake of his adult best friend mm-hmm. and how it affected his life because it threw his life into disarray because he has to clean up the mess now. Oh, my God, grow up. The sight of Tracy at that moment affected me in a way I can't fully explain. Part of it was that she was spying, but mostly it was her face. Who knew how high she would climb in life? How many people would suffer because of her? I had to stop her. Now. You have... Uh, Mr. Novotny mm-hmm. and you have Mr. M and it's not as much of a thing with Novotny, but like, oh, like Broderick has McAllister. He is blaming everything that's going wrong in his life on the women in his life. Everything is blamed everything on the women. Everything is the women's fault. 
oh my God, it's, it's ridiculous how he just does that so freely, so openly. And because we get these monologues, he never is checking himself at all. And also he is so stupid. We, <laughs> he's, he leaves so much evidence. He has horrible oh paper trail. He's, he's the worst criminal. The worst criminal. You're leaving voicemails admitting like, hey, woman, I'm cheating on my wife with. I'm at the hotel we said we were going to meet at. Get, let's get ready to fuck. Here's <laughs> several voicemails. Here's me not cleaning out my waste paper basket after disposing of votes. Like, he is so dumb. So beyond stupid. Just just the dumbest in the whole world. <sighs> oh God. Um, and the thing is like, because we're watching him be so fucking stupid, I have no sympathy for him at all. I want to see his life get ruined by Tracy flick. Oh yeah. I'm all for watching deserved things happen to stupid people. Like we just watched barbarian last night. Uh huh. Oh, Justin long might be the dumbest person I've ever seen in a horror movie. And I'm glad that he gets his. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> also watch barbarian go in without knowing anything. Um, it's think us later. It's wild a as hell. trip. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. He's, he's one of these characters where I actively root for his downfall and you know that it's coming. Like, you know it's coming oh, from the get-go. He's too clumsy to get away with this. Because he's so stupid. It's one of those situations where Tracy is so beyond prepared for everything that she deserves success. He's fucking off. I don't want you to succeed because I'm watching you actively not put in the effort. So you don't deserve good things. Like, I I love this idea. Okay, so it, 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 it bookends the movie where... He has his monologue where I'm like, oh, I'm just I'm just a happy red-blooded American who's just really excited to go to work and I I won best teacher three years in a row and everything's great except for this kid. I can't wait for her to be gone. I want bad things to happen to her. When she's gone, I can go back to enjoying my job. Mm-hmm. But no, you're just projecting everything onto her. So then you have the end of the movie where he's now doing like tour guides at a museum of natural history. And there's one little know-it-all girl in his tour group, and you have you see this thing wash over him going, oh, it's happening again. You, it's your fault. It's your fault I don't enjoy my job right now. Yeah, he's just a misogynist. Uh-huh. Like, point-blank misogynist. And that's why, again, I actively root for his demise in this whole movie. And I do want to clarify something that I just said, because like I heard the words leave my mouth and me being like, it's because he's lazy and not committing. And that's why he doesn't deserve nice things. That sounds like very capitalist, like pull your bootstraps up. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that if you're going to be a scumbag, uh, commit to it. And I mean, cover your ass. Sure. Or which he didn't. I don't I don't really care about like the capitalism of it all. Just like, dude, do what makes you happy. And you're clearly not. But you're also not being honest about it. Right. Just own your shit, man. Yeah. Like, if you're that... not happy in your marriage, then just fucking leave your marriage. And that's very much how I feel about his character. Like I have very little patience for like wishy-washy bullshit. Say it with your chest. And he can't do any of that at all. This entire movie. Tracy's obnoxious. She says shit with her chest. Mm -hmm. And like, I respect that about her. Sure. I wish that she would have owned up to uh, tearing down the posters. I think she could have swung that personally. I, I think she could have been like, I fell off the garbage can. It fell down. I fucking snapped. I'll replace all of them. I'll pay for them. I'll stay late and help everybody else come up with their posters. That's on me. She could have gotten out of that, but she didn't want to do that. Well, because uh, she was panicking. She, she's a politician. They're never honest. Exactly. Even when they're caught in a lie. But to be fair... Uh, he was looking for any excuse to disqualify her. Totally. So, eh. 
I mean, it end, what, what did it end up suspending Tammy? So, like, I'm sure that would have not helped her chances. Yeah, probably not. But, okay, so speaking of Mr. M, um, there is, I'm not saying I'm on his side. I'm not saying I'm defending him. But there is a certain amount. I'm, I'm willing to meet you, like, 10%, my guy, where you're just this dude born and raised in Nebraska, probably. And you're not told to talk about your feelings and you're told you're supposed to get a, a job and a wife and have kids. And that's what you're supposed to do in your life. And maybe you're not satisfied with that, but that's what you were told you're supposed to do and you haven't worked through it. I'll give you that much. Everything else is on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're totally right. Like, you're an adult. You should unpack some shit. Um, also, though, it is the 90s. Mm-hmm. You weren't having these conversations yet. You still suck for it. It's it's an explanation, not an excuse. Yes, I, I think you could have corrected him much sooner in life. So speaking of guys... I want to talk about Paul Metzler because he falls under this very specific character that we don't see very often and that he's the most popular guy in school. He's an athlete. He's very well liked. He's kind of a dum-dum, but kind he's of. but he's not a jerk. No. He's really nice. And this is Chris Klein's first movie and what's really wild is they found him through like like talent agents. And then he did American Pie the same year and then fucking exploded. Mm-hmm. What a what a catch. Like Him and his middle part went to the moon. Oh, yes. Yes, it did. Um, but <laughs> there was he, no looking back. But he's such a... I, I guess he's a himbo in this. He's a little bit of a himbo because he's kind of a fool. He's absolutely a himbo. But he's so <laughs> well-meaning and so kind. And we don't get to have a lot of those kinds of characters unless they're sort of cartoonish. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't feel cartoonish because he's also deeply empathetic. Like, he has these really nice moments with Tammy who clearly doesn't give a shit about him, where he's like, I'm really sorry that this happened, Tammy, and I just want to be there for you because, you know, I'm your brother and I love you. And it's like, I believe that he means what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Even though Tammy's like, fuck off, loser. I don't want to deal with you. Which, like, I get it. She's got a lot of rage issues. She's a lesbian. She's also adopted. She's got her heart broken. She's not the favorite she's not the favorite child by any stretch of the imagination i get it but then like (laughs) not only is her heart broken but then the girl who breaks her heart ends up seeing her brother right and the thing is he doesn't even because he's such a himbo he doesn't understand like why this would be a problem for her like it just seems like a thing that happens all right yeah he's like they get in a big fight and then she's blowing me and it's like you know that he's being sincere when he's acknowledging this of like huh how weird is that? Well, this is this is someone who has never had to apply himself in his life. Oh, God, like, no. His dad owns, like, a, a steel mill or something like it's that. Like, I think it's, like, a concrete factory. Yeah, he he owns an industrial business, so they have money, because that's a good way to have money in, like, a rural area. It's also the same actor who plays Torrance Shipman's dad in Bring It On the following year. Mm-hmm. So another rich dad role for him. I mean, he looks like a rich dad. He does look like a rich dad. Yeah, so... He has money. He's a football player. He's good looking if you're into middle parts. Because I'm not willing to let that go. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the butt cut. He really does. I hate it. I hate I it on every do. person. I know. God, and it's coming back right I, now. No, it's fine. I don't have to date All the them. mask lesbians have middle parts and I'm I, so I just sorry. have to look at it. I don't have to date them. <laughs> but like, oh, geez. It just, he's never had to do anything other than just drift through life and be Charming enough and good looking enough and good enough at sports. So there's something that I I do want to kind of press on you a little bit. I don't necessarily agree with the he's never had to apply himself thing 
I think he applies himself. He just can't do it because we do see him in Spanish class where he is very eager and just repeating words with big eyes and he is so excited. And then the teacher says something to him in Spanish and it is just empty. No one's home, like flies right over his head. He does not know what's going on. I mean, and it's like we just saw him trying really hard and applying himself and being eager. It just isn't something's not connecting here. Uh, there, there's there's two things to this. OK, so. Um, there were a couple kids like this that were on the football team in my high school. Um, most of them were absolutely obliterated high all the time. So they kind of acted like this, but he's sober. So mm-hmm. that's just, it, th- those don't correlate, but it's an interesting thing of note. But also I, I wonder if he could do better if he was probably not being just given passes so that he could keep playing football. Yeah, because this is absolutely one of those schools that loves football so much and you have a star player and it's like no pass, no play. Yeah, I, I think that if he actually had to be like, OK, you you can't just you know, we can't just keep throwing you C's in order to let you play football anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is probably one of those situations. I agree. I I think you're right on that. Yes. I, I really do. So if he was forced uh-huh. <laughs> to do better, he might he might do better. Yeah, and I, I'm curious how he ends up after college. Obviously, we get to see him at the start. He rushes a frat. Everything about him tracks that it all makes sense where he mm-hmm. goes. I'm just curious how he ended up. He's probably working for dad's company, and he's probably very happy doing that. That's probably his life. Probably. And that's what he wants to do. I don't think he, he could ask for more. No. Um, so I do want to bring up Tammy as well. And Tammy is played by an actress named Jessica Campbell, who we unfortunately lost in 2020. Um, it, they said that she had flu-like symptoms and then passed away. It has never been confirmed how she passed. Um, it's just sad. And I remember having like a really bad day when they announced mm-hmm. it because I was like, Tammy is one of the first like lesbian characters I ever saw in a movie. And her approach to lesbianism is so very closeted 90s kid Uh where it's clear that she's like, I'm in love with this girl, but like, I'm not a lesbian or anything. I just Uh love this girl. And then, you know, she meets another girl at Catholic school at the end of the movie. And it's like, honey, (laughs) Uh you'll get there. It's okay. It's it's one of those, uh, but I'm a cheerleader situations where it's like, no, I just love her. But like, you know, that's normal. Everyone, everyone loves her. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and in a very weird way, I have always really appreciated that because it's a very matter of fact, like this is who she is. This is her attraction. This is what she likes. Um, and she gets to have these little moments where we have these montages, once with Lisa and then once with Jennifer, where she gets to just be happy. And the movie doesn't apply any sort of moral judgment to her for that. Mm-mm. And no one in her life does that except for Lisa, who's actively shitty, but we're not supposed to like Lisa. Yeah. And that's wildly groundbreaking for 1999 of just like matter of fact, this girl is a sophomore in high school and is a lesbian and she's just going to be on the swings with this girl she likes and she's going to talk about her in very poetic words. And that was really impactful to me growing up. We were so much more optimistic about being gay moving into the new millennium, weren't we? I know. God, everything before the 2000 election, like we had hope. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We sure did. We all know it doesn't matter who gets elected president of Carver. Do you really think it's going to change anything around here? Make one single person smarter or happier or nicer? 
The only person it does matter to is the one who gets elected. The same pathetic charade happens every year, and everyone makes the same pathetic promises just so they can put it on their transcripts to get into college. So vote for me, because I don't even want to go to college, and I don't care. And as president, I won't do anything. The only promise I will make is that if elected, I will immediately dismantle the student government so that none of us will ever have to sit through one of these stupid assemblies again. But I love that she is an agent of chaos in this movie and that she only enters the election specifically to like get back at Lisa more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, in a weird transitive property, it's her being mad at her brother, but really she's mad at Lisa yeah. and just causes chaos. And I believe the reason she takes the fall for the posters is one, because she wants to get sent to Catholic school. So there's oh, that. I mean, that's absolutely her plan. Um, that's the, that's the major plan. But also I think that she believes I need to help Tracy win this because if she wins, then my brother loses. And then that means Lisa loses. Mm. And that's her best shot at this point. So every, she gets everything she wants. Like, if anybody wins in this movie above all else, it's Tammy. Tammy wins. I, I think Tammy and also Paul are, like, the two objectively good people in this movie full of bad people. <laughs> so, you know, it's good for them. Yeah. I'm glad this worked out Happy all right for, for them. them. Yeah. <laughs> so I do want to talk about something that's really uncomfortable in this movie, which is this sort of like weird sexual feeling that Mr. McAllister is shown to have about Tracy. Mm. Um, specifically in that scene you're talking about where he, he's been Fill tra- me up. He's been Fill trying me to up. <laughs> he's been trying to get his wife pregnant and they've been struggling and one day they're doing it from behind and the first thing he does is imagine his best friend's wife. Um, oh, was it Linda? Linda. Yeah, he, Linda in an extremely monotone voice after he already took a swing at, like, getting with her earlier in the day. Yes. And I also do love the, the um, I do love the imagination for it because it is very much like, oh, yes, fill me up, fill me up. Like, it's so <laughs> just, like, going through the motions, uh-huh. so to speak. Um, but then he has this sort of intrusive thought about Tracy and he starts thinking of her, and he goes to town on his wife. Mm-hmm. And so I've heard this scene assessed in a couple of ways. The most common idea is like, oh, he clearly really likes her, because, I mean, there's conversations earlier in the movie where Mr. Novotny talks about how wet her pussy gets. Like, mm-hmm. we know that he also watches porn that is... You know, the actors are clearly in their 30s, if not 40s, but they're dressed like high school athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people are like, oh, no, he clearly wants to fuck her. I don't necessarily subscribe to that theory. I subscribe to the hate fucking theory where he because he starts going hard on his wife uh, while imagining Tracy. And the look in his eye is anger. And like, yes, it's still fucked up because she's absolutely a high school student. But like, to me, watching him do that, I'm like, oh, that is rage. That is a hate fuck if I have ever seen one. Mm -hmm. He hates her. And in this moment, because she has intruded his thought, this fantasy he's having of his best friend's ex-wife, he's now angry and he is rage fucking. Yeah. How do you read that scene? I would be more inclined to go with the latter. 
Okay. Um, I don't feel like he has any interest in Tracy. Um, if anything else, it's like this seed that's just sort of planted and has wandered into his thought because his friend brought it up. That's mm-hmm. as far as I would say his attraction to her goes. But it's definitely not like a thing thing. Yeah, I think he just has an obsession with wanting to destroy her. Mm. And so when that comes into like the crosshairs of sexuality, that's how it then becomes filtered through his whack ass brain. Sure. Um, Because he is consumed by the thought of destroying her because during the scene where he's watching the aforementioned teen porn, Mm -hmm. he sees the football player and that's when he has the idea of oh, Paul. Paul can run against Tracy. Like he's the shit so, is invading his thoughts yeah, all the time. Yeah, he's obsessed with wanting to ruin her. And again, that's why I'm happy to see him fail mm-hmm. because you need a therapist. Dude, and get you a need hobby. A, get a fucking hobby. Like, <laughs> come on. And speaking of that obsession with wanting to destroy her, Mr. McAllister rigs the election. Mm-hmm. So, Very poorly. So the real winner is Tammy um, because third party vote surprisingly won, but because she's already been suspended, they can't uh, give it to her. Mm-hmm. So Tracy wins by one vote and Mr. McAllister can't deal with it and he's you know frustrated, but because Tracy's been like creeping around and she knows that she's won and she's celebrating and he sees her, it's the sight of her celebrating that makes him go, no, 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 I'm not giving this to you, which again, he is so petty and obsessed and he needs to grow the fuck up. There, there's a scene from Scrubs that I really like where they're talking about like Ted throwing rocks at old people at the park and his line is, why do they get to be happy? I love that one a lot, actually. Uh, I love that line <laughs> so much. Um, like it's legitimately like at peak hater. Yes, he is such a fucking hater. And they amplify him being a hater because anytime they freeze frame on Tracy when it's from his perspective, it is the meanest freeze frame. It's like when you pause the movie because you need to go get snacks and you come back and you're like, oh God, they Uh look like an ogre. What did I do? Uh And that's how they pause on her. It's so mean because Reese Witherspoon is amazing. She's so adorable. Such a delight. And they make her look like such a monster in all of those scenes. It's so rude. Um, but yeah, he sees her being excited and rather than him be the adult and go, it's a 17 year old girl who is excited about being president. He turns it into a personal vendetta and then fucks the election up by throwing out two votes. Mm -hmm. And not only does this affect Tracy because it does, and obviously it affects Paul because it makes him the winner. It also makes the people who are counting look like assholes and mm-hmm. they go into the principal's office and this poor kid is being gaslit because they're like, nah, man, this wasn't here. And he's like, I swear to God, I was there. I counted it. I don't know what happened. And they're like, are you calling your teacher a liar? And it's like, you're fucking with this kid and he's in the right. That's so mm-hmm. shitty. Don't do that to the kid who's going to star in Final Destination 5. That's mean. <laughs> there's there's a lot of kids that are in the right in this movie. Absolutely. He just, oh my God, he sucks so bad. And obviously he gets caught and how he gets caught, which is just a uh, cherry on Also top. hater. Also a hater <laughs> is the janitor. And he's pissed off because Mr. McAllister throws out takeout from the, the faculty fridge and doesn't clean up his mess. So he's like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm ratting you out because I found the things in the garbage. And mm-hmm. it is beautiful poetic justice. It makes me very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, the thing I think I love the most about election is the way that it's all presented stylistically. I mean, every time Tracy's doing something that's viewed as vindictive or in a way that 
Uh, is Mr. McAllister thinking that she's being shitty or when she's just actively being kind of shitty? Um, we get scores from Ennio Margone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we get like Italian spaghetti Western showdown music. Which I love because this movie doesn't really have like a music identity outside of that. Not really. The music is like key background score music where I don't even notice it's there. Yeah, there's a lot of Muzak going on in this. And whenever those kick in, though, like the the just the heights get skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. All of the stakes are higher. It's it's just wonderful. It's such a good touch. Um, And I like that a lot of these shots are also people dead center frame and Mm -hmm. just staring down the barrel of a camera. And it feels very invasive because this movie is super invasive into people's personal lives, into the school. Um, Obviously like we didn't even really address, but like karma comes in the form of Mr. McAllister getting stung by a bee in the eye, in the eye and has like just, just annoying enough. It's just annoying enough, but it's so gross, and he, like, doesn't have an eye patch, so, like, you can't look away from it. And God, it's like playing Animal Crossing, and then everyone makes fun of you for the rest of the day anytime <laughs> you talk to him. It fucking sucks. Yeah, and it's not like he can go out there and get a beehive and a bunch of weeds and make medicine and make it go away immediately like an Animal Crossing either. No, in the old ones, you just had to wait, and you're stuck with it for the rest of the day. His <laughs> is there for, like, presumably a week. <laughs> it's there for a while. Shit sucks. <laughs> but it does act as, like, this, you know, wonderful visual piece of storytelling because his life gets worse as the wound gets worse. Mm -hmm. And then when he starts to think that things are getting better, it starts to go back down and it's like, no, your life is still over. You're a piece of shit. That's the eye of the storm. (laughs) Yeah, it really is the eye of the storm. Oh my God. Yeah. He just makes all the mistakes, all of the mistakes, every mistake you could possibly make. Mm -hmm. And you even called it out too, is after he parks outside of his best friend's house where his best friend's ex-wife slash his one-time lover lives, he goes to pee, and he pees in the tree in the front yard. Like, we've seen the backyard. Facing the road. Yeah, we've seen the backyard. There's plenty of trees back there. You psycho. (laughs) Who pees in the front yard in the middle of the day? Who pees facing the road? There's bushes right there. (laughs) Yeah, he, he sucks in so many ways. And eventually, obviously, he's caught. Um, he's forced to resign. And in a very, very weird way, it kind of becomes one of the best things that could have possibly happened to him. Like his reputation gets destroyed. He essentially gets run out of town. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes, you know, news headlines everywhere, but it forces him to move to New York City. He gets a new job. Um, he meets a new woman. He gets and a sad little apartment that costs a, a lot of money. He has a very sad little apartment. Um, and then you get this monologue again, though, where it's like, does he actually like this life or is he convincing himself he likes this life? And we don't know because he's an unreliable narrator, as is everyone in this movie. I think that he is just a miserable person. Mm-hmm. I, I can I, subscribe to that. I don't think anything that could happen to him would be enough to make him happy. And anything that would is outside of, like, his field. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he can't reach it. Mm-hmm. So... He's just, uh, yeah, I can he's just going to have a mediocre kind of meh. Like, he's he's a walking rainy day with soggy shoes. Like, <laughs> that's him as a person where it's just like, you know, it's like not the worst thing. It's just I had to deal with this all day and it's just kind of annoying and cold and 
I'm just a little uncomfortable <laughs> and I'm reminded of it and I can't not think about it. That That's just him as a person. Should have put, should have put bags on his shoes. <laughs> so Tracy gets to be president and we see a little bit of her throughout the year and she seems to be doing good jobs with it. But then you get to the very end of the school year. She stops curling her hair every single day, which I think is a really nice touch because it's clear she curled her hair during the entire election because it's putting in the extra effort. Mm -hmm. And then once she's president and she just kind of lets her hair be straight again, one, she looks like an entirely different person. Yeah. Like she looks so much more mature, which I think is a really nice, uh, again, element of visual storytelling. She looks way less uh, 1950s. Yes, 100%. Um, but she talks about how I'm the class president. I did all these things. And she's like, but barely anybody signed my yearbook, which is so sad mm-hmm. in like a very like hurtful way. And obviously movies like Booksmart have also kind of addressed this, but with characters that are not nearly as obnoxious. But the idea that like you dedicated so much time of your high school life to achieving things that you didn't have friends and you didn't foster real relationships. And in a very weird way, Tracy seems to be okay with that. Like she clearly has some socialized feelings of like, this sucks, but she's like, if you want to be successful, you got to be lonely. And then she gets to go to Georgetown mm-hmm. and she's very excited. She thinks she's finally going to meet her intellectual equals and she doesn't. No, they're a bunch of fucking Asher Roth. I love college kids who come from a lot of money. And that's why they got to go to, they got to go to Georgetown and they can and, just phone it in and they can phone it in. Whereas yeah. Even though she's there, she got in, she still can't do that. Mm -hmm. She does not have those opportunities that they do. I also want to shout out that her mom is played by Colleen Camp, um, a.k.a. Yvette from Clue. Always Uh, good to see her. Always good to see her. She's fantastic. Um, But she goes to college, and it's not all that it was cracked up to be. And she becomes kind of the dorm floor narc, and no one really likes her. And she, once again does not have the relate. She doesn't foster these relationships Uh and it's because her value system is completely different. She wants to succeed. She wants to thrive. She has a mission and she cannot afford to fall back. She can't afford to do anything other than persevere as hard as possible because she has no safety net. Yeah. Like you say that, Oh, well people have different value systems than her. And like, that's true. I think ultimately what she wants is she doesn't necessarily want friends. She wants to be admired. Very she much She wants so. to be commended. Yes, I agree And with that. the fact that, you know, no teens, no young 20-somethings are going to find anything she does admirable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's not going to get that until she's a full-ass adult. And right. then she will have developed many, many complexes. Very much so. And when we get to see the uh, kind of the epilogue of did I ever see Tracy Flick again? And the answer is yes. He saw her in Washington, D.C., where she's getting into the limousine with a Republican congressman, or he's a senator. I don't remember what he is, but he's a, he's some sort of rep. And she is clearly angling for some sort of, like, higher up the ladder thing, because you can see her mouthing, like, like, thank you very much. That would be great, or whatever mm-hmm. she says. And he is, again, filled with rage because in his mind, he thinks that she's going to do to this guy what she did with his friend. Well, I think he's just trying to save everyone from her. 
Isn't that part of his like motive? It's, or just, like, it's his obsession. I, I can't let I can't let anyone be subjected to her. She's a fucking monster. He's like she can't get away with it. She, she can't ruined do this again. my life. Mm-hmm. She's the worst. She's gonna ruin everything. I have to take her down. That's my mission. And that's why I'm gonna throw a Pepsi at a limo <laughs> because I'm a child. I mean, I hope that shit gets cleaned off quick. It's highly corrosive. <laughs> peel the paint right off. Um, but to me, it's also an extension of Tracy once again not feeling fulfilled by people in her own age. And that's why she's actively seeking out the company of somebody who is much older. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, people that are in her age range are not going to find her impressive. But people that are older than her are going to find her very precocious. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be very impressive. Like, oh my gosh, you're so driven for how young you are. And I think she needs that validation. And she's not getting it from people her own age. Mm-hmm. And again, that's something she needs to unpack. Tracy Flick is not a perfect protagonist by any stretch of the imagination. She's arguably not a protagonist. Very good point. I I don't know if this movie really has a protagonist. It has several antagonists who are butting heads. This movie to me is the definition of that meme where it's like, the movie villain versus the actual villain where mm-hmm. like she's presented as the villain, but she is not the villain. Mr. McAllister is the fucking villain. Yeah. She's just annoying. He's actively evil. Right. And so getting onto that sort of discussion though, the, the actively evil versus annoying is that there's a very famous quote from Matt Stone, who's one of the co-creators of South Park where he talks about how, like, I hate Republicans, but I really fucking hate liberals. And his reason behind it is that he thinks that conservatives are stupid, but he thinks liberals are annoying. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of what we have with Tracy Flick, is that Tracy Flick, take away her political leanings, which we only know at the end, but as a human being, she is extremely qualified. She is very intelligent. She's incredibly motivated. She's very committed. She's very tenacious. She is the best person for the job on paper, but everyone can't stand her because they think she's annoying. Mm -hmm. So her crime of being annoying is put on the same level as an adult teacher who is grooming and molesting a student and is put on the same level as Mr. McAllister, who is actively cheating on his wife with his best friend's ex-wife. Like, her being annoying is treated with the same severity as people who are actively being pieces of shit. Uh And that is fascinating to me. And this is like, to me, like the movie is not making this moral judgment. The movie is like presenting this as like, this is how y'all view her. Mm -hmm. Like you are viewing her as the same as these assholes. I mean, we see her at her most annoying moments. Totally. I'm sure she has plenty of like fine Maybe uninteresting moments. I mean, we see her cry after she loses the election. Yeah. And it's like, no, she does have feelings. She does care. She's not this monster. She's still a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. And yet she is aged up immediately because of her maturity. And she's treated as such. She is never given the grace of making a teenage mistake. They treat her like an adult and they punish her like an adult. Mm -hmm. And that's fucked. (laughs) It also doesn't help that she's putting herself on a high horse and people want to knock you down when you're high and mighty like that. Absolutely. But it still doesn't take away from the fact she's a teenager. I'm not saying it does. I'm just saying like that makes sense in this universe. If you if you want to go with the characters, let's not let's step away from the audience for a bit. Let's look at the characters. Mr. Novotny managed to like skirt by without anybody knowing about his deep, dark secret. Throughout most of the movie, Mr. McAllister 
Nobody knows about all the horrible shit he's up to. Mm -hmm. So that means like in universe, with the exception of like Paul, because he's like, I don't know. Tracy seems really nice. Everyone thinks she sucks because she's doing things that they are actively aware of as opposed to the actual bad people in the movie. It's more obvious the stuff that she's doing. And teenagers just hate shit that's cringe, man. They really do. But something that I also want to bring up is how we seldom get to see Tracy through the eyes of other people because this movie is for the most part, through Mr. McAllister's perspective. So Mm -hmm. we see Tracy as the dirt worst. That's how we view her as. Um, Obviously, when she's giving her speech, they draw great attention to the people that are heckling her, which, of course, she's going to get heckled. Like, anybody who is the overachiever in school, regardless of whether or not you're liked, they do heckle her. Yeah. But ultimately, like, she still wins. Enough people in school like her enough to vote for her over Paul. Mm Mm-hmm. People clearly like her when she's creeping around trying to see if she won the election. The kid gives her a thumbs up and a big smile. He seems genuinely excited for her. People in school do fucking like her, but we never get to see that Mm -hmm. because we only see her through the eyes of Mr. McAllister. So we're meant to believe that she's awful, like the absolute worst human being on the planet, when in reality, she's probably not. She's probably nowhere near as annoying as the movie wants us to believe her to be, but we're only getting that perspective. Well, yeah. And that's, that's why Election is such a good fucking movie. That, that's that's what I was saying earlier when it's like, I'm sure she has plenty of like uninteresting moments or fine moments, mm-hmm. but we don't get to see those. No, we don't. And I think that that's really, really interesting is this idea of how many people are our perspectives of them shaped completely by the way they've been presented to us. Mm-hmm. And I think in a very strange way, we can sort of reflect that with social media and this idea that we think we know people and we develop these like weird parasocial relations with people based only on what we know from the internet, what's been given to us, what's been shown to us. So we don't actually know Tracy Flick. We think we do. We have an idea of this archetype, but we don't actually know her and we never get to know her. And that's the point, because if we did, if we got the nuanced perspective, if we got the deep dive on who Tracy Flick really is as a person, that's when you then end up with me. Because <laughs> when I say goth Tracy Flick, a lot of things come to mind and you're like, oh my God, you sound fucking awful. But then when you actually talk to me, it's like, oh, you're not like that at all. And that's also why I feel weirdly defensive of Tracy Flick. Because I know that there were people who didn't know me very well that did judge me and did think that I was like an overachieving asshole. And that must have meant that I was uptight and stuck up and mean and whatever. And that's not who I was. And even today, as an adult, people have told me, I was afraid to talk to you because you're really intimidating. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, what does that mean? And they're like, well, you're really bold. And you're really confident and you're really sure of yourself. Number one, this is all a facade. I am painfully insecure. You're but, direct. But I'm very direct. And to some people that reads as intimidating. Tracy's real fucking direct. And I like that about her. Because again, she says it with her fucking chest. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, the reason this movie is so well put together is that it, in order to really appreciate it, you have to grapple with the fact that Mr. M and Tracy are both unlikable, but for wildly different reasons. But because this is a visual medium, you don't really interrogate the things you don't see. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that, that's your average person who would watch this. Like they just they go, huh, I don't like her. 
and then they remember how that made them feel, and then they don't dive deeper. You might think it upset me that Paul Metzler had decided to run against me, but nothing could be further from the truth. He was no competition for me. It was like apples and oranges. I had to work a little harder, that's all. You see, I believe in the voters. They understand that elections aren't just popularity contests. They know this country was built by people just like me who work very hard and don't have everything handed to them on a silver spoon. Not like some rich kids who everybody likes because their fathers own Metzler cement and give them trucks on their 16th birthday and throw them big parties all the time. No, they don't ever have to work for anything. They think they can just all of a sudden, one day, out of the blue, waltz right in with no qualifications whatsoever and try to take away what other people have worked for very, very hard their entire lives. No, didn't bother me at all. So going back to this Criterion essay, another passage I want to read is towards the end where it says... Our final glimpse of Jim McAllister and Tracy Flick, this movie's monomaniacal Captain Ahab and his maddeningly overachieving white whale, is more ambiguous, ending the film on a note that's funny and ominous at the same time. Mr. M, who's scraping by, is a low-paid teaching assistant at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City after his humiliating expulsion from the halls of Carver High, which also, they go to George Washington Carver High, a school named after, like, a very prestigious, like, black uh, American, and mm. there are no black people at this school. Yeah. Um, I just find that very interesting to point out because that, to me... That just kind of goes into, like, the white performative progressiveness of this movie. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so he pay, you know, pays a visit to Washington, D.C. for a conference, crossing a street with a just-purchased American flag in one hand and a milkshake in the other. That's right, he throws a milkshake. Ah. Mr. M is informing us in voiceover just how happy he is in his new life when he catches a glimpse of Tracy. Now apparently working as a congressional aide, she climbs into a limousine with an older male politician. In an ill-thought-out gesture of adolescent rage, Mr. M hurls his drink at their departing limo, then, seized by fear at the thought of re-encountering his former student, disappears at a run into a nearby park, leaving the audience to wonder what moral progress, if any, this benighted and still bitter man has made. And we are meant to cheer the dedicated but ruthless Ms. Flick's apparent success in the post-high school political world, or to regard her as a rough beast slouching toward Washington to be born. And I, I just love the fact that they point out how fucking juvenile he is in this entire movie. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately that feels like the heart of election is that we have a teenager who is acting beyond her years and we have an adult acting like a goddamn child. Mm -hmm. And how we can see these elements at play. And like, obviously we know Mr. M's a piece of shit and yes. we should not be rooting for him. But the fact that Tracy is punished for being the adult in a lot of these situations. Mm -hmm. And then the moments that she has where she is a child, where she does freak out and pull off all of the all of the banners because she's in like a fit of rage and doesn't know what to do with those emotions. We look at her like, oh my God, you're the worst. I can't believe this. But if she had been acting like a child the whole movie, that behavior would have been normal. Mm -hmm. But she acts out of character. The, the few times that she actually acts like a teenager are the times we hate her the most because we've said it once on this show we'll say it a hundred times men will really get pissed off at a teenage girl and make it their personality for the rest of their goddamn lives yeah Alrighty, harmony the time mm -hmm. has come yes election is asking you to the prom is it a yes a no a maybe or are you buying her ticket so she can go on her own 
I will give this a yes. I, I I like that this is still from that time where you could do edgy teen movies, specifically if you centered it around like an adult perspective, because then you get away with more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how you would make a movie like this now, because who are you supposed to root for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we, we were much more gracious towards stuff like that in the 90s. And yeah. Now, I, now if you don't have like a silver platter protagonist of this is who you're supposed to root for, people get mad. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that just makes this more special. Mm-hmm. And... Also, it shows how broke our political system is. <laughs> Just beyond fucking it, broken. It exemplifies it really well, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sure does. In like a lot of painful ways. Uh-huh. And to be fair, I would probably also be more likely to vote for somebody if they had pick flick cupcakes because Cupcakes. I'm a cheap mark. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll take your cupcake. Doesn't mean I'm gonna vote for you. <laughs> Let's be honest here. If I was in high school, odds are I probably wouldn't have voted, period. Because I also didn't take part of like Spirit Week or any of that other stuff. I didn't like school functions. I didn't go to dances. I would have been like, cool, give me the free food anyway, bye. You would have voted for Tammy just for the the chaos. See, so yeah, that depends on how easy it was. If it was mildly inconvenient, I wouldn't have. <laughs> I know me. <laughs> See, but I think they made the whole school because there's like the whole thing of like all of the votes were accounted for. So well, they force you to vote. I think they made. That's not very vote. American. No, it sure isn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, friends, that takes us out on election. And uh, here's hoping the world is a better place on the other side of the election results because we're recording this uh, about a week before the actual election. So. Fingers crossed. May God have mercy on all of our souls. Huzzah. <laughs> you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. Thank you, as always, to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Congratulations on your new releases and your tour. We love you so very much. Harmony. What cool indie artist do you want people to check out based on election? All right. So we already talked about how this movie doesn't really have a good motif other than spaghetti westerns. (laughs) Yes. So that didn't work. So the direction I went is uh, let's get political. So the album I am shouting out is called Bell Ringer from Lingua Franca. Mm -hmm. And it is an indie hip hop album that is, um, we'll say heavy and dense and about a lot of hard-hitting topics with hard-hitting music i love it yeah so like pretty much anything that's stressed you out over the last couple years like me uh there's probably a song about it on here and it's just a very good very very powerful release (laughs) i love that very much and speaking of artists i do want to take a quick second oh for anybody who is still listening. If you're still listening, if anyone's ever still listening at this point, I love you forever. They are, because people will tell us, like, oh my god, I really like this band that you shouted. I'm like, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you're listening to Telethon. I think they're great. <laughs> um, But I wanted to give a special shout out to our buddy Cash, our nephew. He is also the artist who sings the cover of Teenage Dirtbag in front of all of our City Hawkins episodes on the Patreon. But at the time of recording, we are recording a day after cash's one year anniversary of his alive day it's his first alive day um it's kind of a new birthday for him Mm. um for those that do not know if you are not a listener of why did we ever meet 
Um, our, our good buddy Cash was going through a bit of a mental health crisis this time last year, um, and he needed some help. And this was when I went back to Ohio because I, I wanted to be there for him. Mm-hmm. But it was a situation where he he was struggling and he knew he needed help and he asked for help and he got the help he needed. And because of that, he's still here with us. And so we just want to tell you that we love you and we're so happy that you're here. And this is just a reminder, as always, to anyone who may be listening, that if you are struggling, you are not alone and there are people there that can help you. And if you feel like you need the help, please seek it out in whatever way that you can, because we want you to have an alive day too. Um, I'm going to be celebrating his alive year every year along with his birthday and every other holiday, because it's important that we remember what we've been through and how we got through it. And I'm just, I'm so proud of him. And I'm not going to cry. You're getting real close. I'm getting real fucking close. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. Um, I'm just really proud of you, buddy. And I love you dearly. And that's all I can say before I start sounding like I'm choking on a bag of marbles. So I will stop. Yeah. I also love you, but I am not as good with words as BJ. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's the note I want to end things out on. Thanks again for listening, friends. Uh, reach out to your people. Tell everyone that you love them. Check in, check in on your people, too. Um, and happy Alive Day to everyone who's here with us still. Mm-hmm. We love you so very much. And uh, we'll see you next time. Don't forget, save that last dance for us. Bye. Love you. Bye. you to fuck me jerry fuck me this episode was brought to you by pod people productions to find more episodes of this show and others please visit podpeople.me